Hello survivors and welcome to Eve Hypo, a Bioshock podcast by Resident Evil fans for Resident Evil fans. This is First Aid Spray bonus episode 19, and in this edition we journey below the sea to explore the depths of this narrative action, 2006's Bioshock. I'm your host Sai, and joining me in Rapture this week, full of fireballs and bees and raring to go, it's Moist Outlet aka James. Hello! He protect, but he also attack. First Aid Spray's own Big Daddy, it's Firebutton Steve Valance. Hello. Would you kindly record a podcast with us? From Itchy Painty, it's Michael Burger Time Early. I really don't know why I'm doing this right now. The subject of this bonus episode, like all others, was voted on by our Patreon backers. Support the show now to not only help keep us afloat, but also create new content. Select what that content is and hear it a month for everyone else. Tears begin at just $1 a month. Check out patreon.com forward slash FA Spray Pod for the full breakdown. So, shout out first of all, we've got a musical interlude in this episode, as we often have with our bonus episodes. So, thank you to Zach Hyde and Frank Tedesco for their piano duet cover of Welcome to Rapture, the piece of music that you hear pretty much straight away when you boot the game up. Uh, it's a fantastic little piece, it's a fantastic cover. You can check it out on Frank's. YouTube channel, which is Frank Tedesco 7 Link is in the description, and you will hear that dropped in midway through our conversation. So thank you to Frank and his friend Zach. So it is a, another Pile of Shame podcast. If you've not listened to one of these episodes before, essentially every member of the team has picked a game that they haven't played before, but they feel like they should, or they've at least attempted it and never really got through it. It feels like something that they, you know, is missing from their completion list. Uh, that has gone to patrons, and the winning one is Bioshock. So somebody on today's panel, at least one person, has never played Bioshock to completion. Uh, so we're going to reveal who that is. First of all, Bioshock was developed by 2K Games and released in August 2007 for PC and Xbox 360, and then later released for PS3 just a year later. Bioshock began its early life as an entry in the System Shock series before it was repeatedly reworked, whilst its core development team shopped for publishers for a few years. Under 2K, the game took shape, and most key, perhaps, for our podcast, took heavy inspiration from Resident Evil. Bill Gardner, lead developer, has said the team were particularly influenced by Resident Evil 4, including its approach to the environments, combat tools, core game design and tactical elements, its gameplay fueled storytelling, inventory system, and its opening village level in terms of how it handled the sandbox nature of combat. A demo released before Bioshock, uh, which became one of the most downloadable trials in Xbox Live history, which built significant hype. And on release, it had universal acclaim, Destructoid, EGM, Eurogamer, and Game Informer all gave it 10 out of 10. GameSpy gave it 5 stars, GameSpot gave it 9 out of 10, Edge 8 out of 10, and so on. It won many awards with publications and uh, ceremonies, including Game of the Year with Spike TV's Game Awards and Best Game of 2007 at the BAFTAs. Its Metacritic aggregate scores are super positive, 96 for PC, and Xbox, 94 on PlayStation 3, and it has an iOS port, which got 68 out of 100, Uh, but I think, you know, putting a game like this on a mobile is a challenge anyway, so it's impressive enough. So all that to be said, uh, it's fair to say that this is a well-loved game. Uh, We talk a lot about the classics, but with scores like that, this might well be up there as one of the most highly reviewed titles that we've talked about in First Aid Spray history, probably. Let's go right back to the beginning. What was everyone's first experiences with Bioshock like? Uh, Burger, why don't you start us off? Uh, do you remember playing Bioshock? Oh, absolutely. When it came out? Absolutely, 100%. I was one of those downloads of the original demo for, for Bioshock. Nice. Uh, absolutely 
blown away. The the first time I had ever seen anything about this game was actually at the. Um, I worked at a, a franchise, not a franchise, a, a company called Game Crazy, which was a pseudo competitor to GameStop at the time, and uh, we got an early reveal of um, of like a, a the the initial like first person trailer where the guy uh, takes the drill to the hand. Uh, it's a pretty iconic trailer for the game at this point, and absolutely like the lid off of two thousand store directors like Vegas ballroom. Um, but then I played the demo a lot, just just the demo, and wow, like this is the first game I remember playing on the on the Xbox three hundred and sixty that I like lost sleep over. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Steve, did you play it on release, Bioshock? I have, a, <clears throat> I have a bit of a weird history with this one. Uh, basically, at, at the time of its release, I was a carer, a uh, living carer with my grandmother, and she didn't have the internet. There, there is a reason for this story. And I had my PC moved there, so I was living there with an offline PC. I initially bought the... Uh, there was like a steel book with a code to use online. You could install the game, but it wouldn't activate without being online. I was crushed. I was heartbroken. And then I went and bought the uh, Xbox 360 version, because obviously I still had one of those consoles kicking around. And I had a uh, fun old time playing it with my grandmother, watching over my shoulder the entire time. It was lovely. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she was just recognizing the classical tunes and also saying, it's a bit violent, isn't it, Stephen? <laughs> uh, which is, uh, uh, yes, no, no. <laughs> um, I don't remember if I owned it or not to be honest this is another story of size terrible memory um i definitely played it whether it was someone else's copy or if i bought it on the back of the hype i don't remember being particularly hyped myself i remember everyone talking about it and being like well this is something that i need to try out and it certainly looks interesting and unique um, but i didn't get very far with it and i certainly had my own problems with it so uh, whilst it's a game i've played it's also kind of a title that's been on my pile of shame because i never finished it i only got really sort of halfway through uh, so it's been good to go back to it for me but yeah i did play it a little bit on release and to be quite honest it didn't quite land with me and we'll probably get into why that is when we actually start breaking down the game uh james what's your experience with bioshock been before because of course this is your pile of shame pick yeah um uh, uh as as uh everybody tells me why haven't you played bioshock yet uh every time i mention i've never played it um uh, my mm-hmm. only experience with it is living when it came out I was living with a family member who wouldn't shut up about this game. Um, they absolutely adored it. They played the demo, so maybe we should bring them them onto the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, yeah, they really loved it, and uh, yeah, they kept on saying to me, "James, you got to play this game. You got to play this game." But James, at the time, guys, you got to understand something. James, at the time, was playing Dragon Age. There was nothing <laughs> else that was going to take me away <laughs> from Dragon Age. Um, but yeah, um, I'll, I'll go into more of it later, but that is the only experience. I had no clue what this game was about. The only thing, because I'm pretty good at avoiding spoilers on things. Um, yeah, the only thing I knew was that it was called Bioshock. I didn't know any memes from it, nothing. Um, so it was quite an experience to, well, play it and experience it myself. That's really cool, considering obviously it's quite an old game and, you know, it's got some twists and turns and its storyline is and its narrative and stuff like that something that people have praised since the beginning so it's really cool that you managed to not know about those even though i didn't experience them uh the first time i played it i probably packed it in before the big turns 
I obviously know knew all about the memes and stuff when I played it this time, so it wasn't a big shock for me. Uh, but let's save story and stuff like that till a little bit later because it's a, a rather major thing. Let's kind of start with the gameplay, as previously said, a little bit inspired by stuff like Resident Evil 4. It's uh, it's quite an interesting one, trying to think about it contextually. Um, Steve, what did you think of the gameplay at the time when you first played it? Uh, honestly, I was kind of surprised because at the time, it would have been more of your your Call of Duty stock stuff coming into the forefront. Mm. So playing a, a shooter with a more explorative focus and a diminished amount of supplies to then throw you against hordes of screaming crazy people, yeah, it was a, a different take. Obviously, I'm more of a classic shooter guy anyway. Like, if you put me in front of a Call of Duty in a battlefield or Doom or Quake, I'm going for Doom or Quake every time. So I appreciate the fact that it's more labyrinthine. Um, mm. I think the main takeaway for me was, was oh, cool, the plasmids burn the ice, so that means I can go through that ice bit now. <laughs> and uh, other such thrilling con- concepts like using lightning to operate electrical equipment. <laughs> so yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, I can I can also electrocute people. Fantastic. <laughs> um, Berger, what do you feel about the gameplay, sort of core beats of Bioshock? So I uh, I came into Bioshock being a big fan of Days X um, and System Shock mm. 2 specifically. Uh, I thought at the time uh, the fact that you could shoot the water with lightning and there's enemies in it would just kill all the enemies in the water blew my mind. Mm. Um, the visuals of the game, even today, uh, James was playing it recently, you know, I was, I was going with, going along with him on his journey through it, and uh, they still hold up well. It's Some of the stuff is dated, um, but no, at, at the time, blew me away. It was so heavy and, and weighty, and the sound that your, yeah. Yeah. your weapons are all chunky, and like, when you cocked your shotgun, it like, it sounded, looked good, felt good. Um, the mini games were fun. Uh, the storyline was great, and like Steve said, it was very labyrinthine, and you did have to double back on it a bit, but you never really felt it. It felt more Metroidvania than um, right. than I would say than Resident Evil Four did. Uh, interesting, because you, it's interesting because obviously it's got more like more of a mission structure. I mean, you can go back after a certain point. Obviously, you can go back to previous areas. So I take your point. It's, it's weird, the comparisons to RE4, because I've got to be honest, just from my recent playthrough of this, I, I'm not... Maybe, maybe I'm just seeing it from the wrangle, but I'm not seeing it. It's like, um, even the comparison to Deus Ex and stuff, like, I can appreciate the time, and I'm sure Berg will agree with me. It's more... In Deus Ex, they would be like, you need to get into a building, and there's like 14 different ways you can go into a building. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in this, like, those extra little oh. nooks and crannies would lead to secrets, not so much gameplay progression. Not I, so much like getting into the job. The job is you do it this way, yeah, you but you'll have like four or five games. different yeah. approaches for combat. Um, yeah. When I when I make the Deus Ex comparison, it's more of the um, the RPG light elements that I'm talking about. Mm. The mm. the additional the addition of powers that you can get and unlock as you play. Your weapons increasing in power and uh, mechanics depending on what upgrades you choose to to give them. Um, med kits that you can you know store and heal up with so like kind of basic inventory management RPG light progression mechanics is what was what I think of when I when I make the comparison to Vegas X. Yeah, I'm gonna try and maybe give Bill Gardner's Resident Evil related quote uh, a bit more of what I what I think he's trying to say anyway. Is Steve of what you touched on there is kind of like the different approaches to combat and that kind of thing. 
Bioshock has over games like you've mentioned, where as big as a fan of something like Halo as I am, it is just pick your favourite gun and hose enemies down a little bit. Whereas Resident Evil 4, you know, you've got limb targeting and stuff like that, and there's a lot of opportunity to interact with the environment in interesting ways that impact your combat, you know, by using ladders and different elevation and being able to jump over fences and stuff like that, which was kind of like a big deal in Resident Evil 4. Not many games had you interact with uh, environment like that. Bioshock has a bit of that in the way that you say, like, you can electrocute something if it's all covered in... Uh, if it's if it's wet and there's oil that you can set fire to, and I think it's like that using the environment in a combat aspect is probably what he's getting at. And if I and you guys are right because if I think about this, try and think about it contextually at the time, stuff like that is really cool. Like the telekinesis power is a great example. I don't I can't think of many first person games that had wild powers like that in them at the time. Uh, think about first person. Oh, it was third person. Right, sure. I mean, yeah. Well, exactly. There yeah. you go. Like when you think about first person games. Yeah. At the time, it was a Call of Duty or a Halo, or the other end, like an Elder Scrolls. This is like a combination of lots of different things from all of those areas in a way, because you've got magic powers and also you have gunplay. Um, James, how did you feel about your experience with the gameplay of Bioshock uh, all these years after its release? Um, I first want to preface with, um, you know, it wasn't just Dragon Age that kept me away from this game. Um, there were two other things. There was a limitation in terms of the system that I had at the time. This game was very intensive um, on your system at the time um, if you didn't have like a console. And I only had an Xbox 360 um, that at that point wasn't working very well. <laughs> I'm not sure why. It's working now fine, but it wasn't working Sounds very like well. Sounds like an Xbox 360. And the other thing was that it was an FPS. And mm. I am historically awful. FPSs. Um, I used to play like an old game called War Rock, um, which I thought I was very good at, but I wasn't. I was trash. And then, like, I would just play the campaign modes in Call of Duty because I liked the stories in them. I never played PvP like in these. And then I think that kind of shaded me a little bit in terms because that that's kind of the gameplay that I didn't really get into until like recently with um, like PUBG and Apex, you know, uh, Legends and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, those, those are t the two reasons why, because just because the gameplay itself didn't appeal to me. Now, in terms mm. of like what it is like now, um, the game, I can see, you know, it, it has definitely paved the way for a lot of games that have come out in the past 14 years, I think, since it's re been released. Um, and... You know, but it still now feels it now feels dated, and I know that's very obvious. Yeah. Of course, it, it yeah. feels dated, right? But when I was playing it, it was quite hard to get into. There was a lot of things that didn't feel very smooth and fluid for me. Um, I mean, it, it got towards the end where it did feel smooth. Like, I mean, Burger can attest that I basically got to a point where it was it was like I was playing Resident Evil 6 when I was playing Resident Evil 6 with Steve and I was playing the Chris and Piers campaign where I was just running into everything and pelting them in the face. That's pretty much all I was doing because um, uh, that was my that was the way I played <laughs> Bioshock, I guess. <laughs> I didn't sneak. I just clobbered people. That's the way I did it. Um, and that was, and that, that's kind of a testament to the game itself and its gameplay and what, like, kind of the versatility of it because it gives you options to sneak 
it gives you options to uh, to shoot from afar, and it gives you options um, to just be a tanky boy who likes to hit things. Um, there's also many other options as well, like just being a puppeteer and stuff like that. Um, mm. Yeah, but my 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 way of, of playing the game was uh, yeah, just hitting people really hard. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know that kind of for me that got rid of the frustration of one of the uh, we'll talk about it more a little bit later maybe, but one of the biggest frustrations was the center of my screen was taken up by quite a lot of real estate. The, the dinner um, plates, the dinner places, I called them. Like there, there was some you know weapons and stuff that didn't that weren't in my way like i think the revolver had a tiny one and i think like the wrench only has a crosshair right but you know when you got the grenade launcher stuff like that um the shotgun it has a huge dinner plate in the middle that made it really hard for me to play uh which is why i just defaulted to the wrench you have about <laughs> flavor uh, like flavor text co- uh, crosshairs and things for your weapons james am i just, just exactly yeah. Prior, yeah, okay. yeah sorry yeah for context the crosshairs that you i played the bioshock remastered and I got I got a lot of people giving me feedback saying you should be able to turn it off, but it was nowhere in the option, options. Couldn't find a mod to even get rid of it either. Um, so that kind of lessens my experience a little bit. But you know, when you got a wrench in hand and you're really really strong boy, you can just hit things. Um, so I did that. <laughs> um, yeah, I liked the ingenuity. Like I think it's probably of its time. Since then, I played a lot of games that kind of use the elements. Um, right. But of its time, really really awesome. Um, to see them using different elements in the game uh, to uh, get that get progression. Like there was a point where I got stuck and it's cause I didn't read a certain audio log um, and it was to do with uh, burning the ice. So you could progress into the fisheries place. Oh yeah. Um, you can use fire and melt ice. Pretty good. Sorry. Just exactly. Back to yeah. earlier, Steve. <laughs> and <laughs> thing is I missed that audio log. So I got I got I got lost. I didn't know what to do. And then folks in chat said, Oh yeah, you just use fire on the ice. I'm like, wait, this game had that? Hmm. <laughs> I was pretty impressed with that. That was pretty cool. Um but yeah, I think all the other points have been made. But yeah, I, I really like the uh the variation of, of gameplay style you could do in this game. That's cool. Um I agree. It's it's a tricky one because in general it's really hard to put yourself in the context of the time of a release sometimes and uh, yeah we take a lot of that stuff for granted I suppose which unfortunately means that you're quite right on my recent playthrough I found that I don't know it felt a little bit dated it felt a little bit stunted it felt a little bit bare bones compared to a lot of games and that's because every you know it's influenced so many games so you know yeah. it's, it's a difficult yeah. thing because it can't really just easily chastise it for being lesser than all the games that you know for lack of a better term ripped it off uh but unfortunately it does kind of like pale compared to stuff we've had since um yeah i um, Steve, oh sorry go back i go do ahead. i do want to comment a little bit on that like uh that was you know james i didn't mention i was watching him play the game recently and uh i noticed that that was a big part of the challenge because mm. because of how dated the game is we've played so many great games that fit in that same genre that same whole like Prey, for example, or Dishonored. Sure, um, yeah. Both games that took that that mold and kind of iterated it on a, in a way that took what was there that was good, added their own things to make it better, and kind of left some of the older, more obsolete systems. Um, yeah, but still, like, there's a reason, there's a reason you input, you, uh, you know, you follow the greats. You stand on the shoulders right, of the Right, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And like, 
the games you've mentioned there, Prey and Dishonored, are absolutely prime examples of like still seeing the Bioshock DNA uh, for, for sure. But there's one thing that those games don't have, and this does, which is the Pipe Mania game, which is fun all the way through, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, it, I didn't... I'd say it never gets old. It got frustrating at times because the way that it was like, here's your difficulty warning for this hacking minigame. And they didn't make much sense to me most of the time because they were like, oh, this is really hard. Look, it's a big, large field of things to move. Well, this one's easy because it's really small. It's like, well, no, the small ones are actually harder because I don't have any room to move. But okay. I, but still, the hacking minigame, uh, I thought at the time when it came out was a stroke of genius. And I still really, really enjoyed it personally. One of my, it's a tiny little thing, but like a little highlight of the game that I still feel holds up. Uh, Steve, what's your experience been recently playing the game on this most recent playthrough? Oddly cathartic, like for reasons that don't make sense. Like I'm I'm appreciating the fact that I have an entire arsenal just carrying with me, like Doom. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm appreciating that the battle arenas tend to be quite spacious with lots of things to move around and bow around and smash things with. And uh, the fact that it's very, it's very forgiving. Like obviously the, the Vita Chamber thing, which is a thing you can turn off, which allows you to basically survive death for fourteen dollars or zero if you run out of dollars. It's incredibly forgiving that the game will kill you outright and then let you get straight back into the fight. Yeah. But no, I'm, I'm, I appreciate the arena battles with the fact that you can carry so many things into the battle and still try and be tactical and place like you know traps with your proximity mine or your crossbow wires. It's inventive, uh, which is a shame because nine times out of ten, Steve's solution at least on this playthrough was, I'm going to zap him and whack him and boy <laughs> did the Electrobolt and the wrench get a lot of use like, it, it's, a, it's a catch-all solution that the melee the starting melee weapon should be quite so devastating, but it, it just makes the right crack, you know and, uh, spoilers for later on but there's this one particular point where the, is it the Waltz of the Flower plays uh, and mm. timing the smacks of a wrench to the face of a deformed crackhead to the high notes <laughs> of a classical piece have stained me forever. Like, I, I will forever remember those moments where I'm just swinging a wrench around like a maniac. So, yeah, there's lots of fun guns and stuff, but, yeah, melee's pretty good. Yeah, I'm glad that you guys have talked about the different ways that you can approach this combat-wise because I personally found the gunplay feels pretty obscenely unsatisfying yeah it's not just unsatisfying but just really really unsatisfying which in a way can be a good thing because it makes you consider other options like it it felt like the game was going yeah but look at the wrench you don't have to worry about those ammo counts if you're just smacking things with the wrench so my play style as you kind of mentioned with the sort of vita chamber where you die and just basically instantly come back and not it's not like you're resetting a checkpoint or anything it just carries on you you can just crawl back into the fight that you were midway through death is essentially a joke in this which is you know depending on your viewpoint it could be a good or a terrible thing uh, it very easily let me just turn my play start into complete brute force where i was just like oh i died get back out again scrap a little bit more health oh i died get back out again <laughs> which is which is fine and dandy until some of the later chapters where the spawn tubes are really far away from you know where you potentially were and they're a bit more spaced out yeah. then it got really frustrating uh, but I guess maybe that's on me. But at the same time, is it? Because the game made that such an option for me up until the last couple of chapters. But there you go. Um, Berger, I'm going to send you off down a rabbit hole. What do you think of the big daddies? Oh, I love them. Uh, in terms of a, a big bad, 
they don't really feel trivialized until the very end of the game. Mm, um, for sure. They do end up... Well, let me rephrase that. Depending on the choices that you make throughout the game in terms of whether or not you choose to harvest the um, little sisters or save them, uh, which is a big moral dilemma that you face throughout the course of Bioshock's storyline. But it is a core game mechanic because it manages it's about resource management at that point. Um, yeah, if sure. you choose to kill little sisters, the game gets trivialized pretty early, I think, in, in the game overall. Um, but if you if you save them, you also get side bonuses. But there's there's enough variety. I think there are two or three different ones at least. Um, there's the big melee yeah. one with the drill. There's the the rivet, the rosies. Um, mm-hmm. And is there a third one, or is it just the two? Oh. I want to say there's Rosies, there's Bouncers, and then Elite Variants for both. Yeah, and then Bioshock 2 throws in a few extra ones. Right. right. Uh, and you get the big sister in Bioshock 2. Yeah. Um, so it always felt like, oh, sh- there's a big daddy here. Do I want? Do I have what it takes to take this guy down right now? Or do I want yeah, to go, sure. like, do I need to go get some electric buckshot or something before I can do this? Um, no. Awesome. Awesome enemies. Really, really glad. And, mo- and I'll say that for most of the... Uh, like the named characters that you fight in this game as well. Mm, I agree, actually, completely. Throughout pretty much the entire game, coming across a big daddy was always like, oh, why now? You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm not equipped for this. But you need to, if you if you want to play it a certain way, if you want to salvage them all or, you know, uh, save them all, uh, you have to fight all of those big daddies. Um, and I went on a pure save them all run to get the super good ending. So I was like, well, I have to do this. Um, and my whole I'm going to keep dying until I win thing kind of became its own problem there as well because Big Daddies eventually might go away. That is a, that is a potential thing. So ev- so I had I was going up and I was doing the damage that I could. I knew it was going to kill me. There's no way around it. And then you have to run to the Big Daddy and try and carry on, which is kind of fun in its own way. I'm just... Know? Mental image of a, a, a maniac charging through a rapture, like that one bit in Star Wars with Han Solo's <laughs> chasing the stormtroopers, screaming with a wrench, only to then see a big yep. baddie appear and chase Sai all the way the way around. <laughs> like, ah! Running around with a wrench and my hand on fire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in regards to the big daddy and tracking them all down to you, I, I actually have an embarrassing admittance to make. I didn't know until I saw it on James's screen that it tells you the number of Big Daddies in the zone on the mm. pause screen. Yeah, handy hint that one. Mm. I also like. I just want to interject and say I appreciate the fact that these are the, the hands down, excluding maybe the final boss, the biggest, most iconic threat in the game, and they are optional technically. And you can take your time and prepare around them. You can just see them lumbering around, and they'll sort of not bother you until you pick a fight. Mm. I appreciate the fact that this big monstrous beast is also like, yeah, you're right, mate. While you've got like <laughs> maniacs running around left and right trying to pace you the first thing to see. Like the fact that it gives you this big tough phone, like, right, dismantle him, figure it out. It's just mm-hmm. a shame that then the Vita Chamber, like Sai says, allows you to just chip him to death with wrench hits. Yeah. Although, I mean, it's, it's funny. Like, I didn't want to necessarily spoil my conclusion on this, but I came in with a lot of sourness and some issues with this game. But the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, you know what, that's so cool. Because, again, 2007, I can't imagine many games were doing the thing where it's like, here, you've got multiple different types of enemies that also don't... You can kind of pit them against each other. You know, you can take a big daddy and be like, you're mine now, kill all these random dudes for me and stuff like that. 
or you could struggle against two different types of enemies at the same time. But you're right. Um, Hell, even splicers. Not to go back to Resident. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Splicers will pick back to big daddies. Ex- yeah, exactly that. It's like, you know, you've got all these different variables. It's easy for us to go, it's like Resident Evil, but I can't think many of other franchises where they have like constantly reappearing enemy types like this. Even this is even isn't really anything like that. This is so original and you don't see it very often, like you say, of just like the most threatening and iconic enemy is something you can fight, you can completely avoid, whatever you want to do with it, uh, which is really cool. It is always fun to watch them pick a fight. You know, watching watching Splices pick a fight with a big daddy, you know, just on the sidelines watching him literally go to town on them. Yeah, it's great. It's just a, a catharsis watching him literally act like a cartoon villain and just bash them left and right. And then, right, okay, they've softened you up. And then he pates me in one shot. <laughs> James, what was your experience with the Big Daddies? And uh, which ending do you go? did you wind up going for? Or did you know about that? Or just- I No, I didn't, actually. I'm actually yeah, very curious figured- about what ending I got. Because, like, can I talk about the ending I got? Yeah, let's save. save all right, all right. I'll wait that for later. Um... So I, I um, mostly because I wanted, I wanted to experience the story, um, and also I got nothing to prove. Don't at me. Um, I played this game <laughs> on easy. Um, yeah, sure. And so you didn't play the real game, James. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hello, hello. I one hundred percent at Elden Ring. Get off my back. Um, <laughs> I always say that, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, uh, it's I. I did like the Big Daddies. I played it on normal, um, but there were some things I just wasn't getting. And then I decided if I'm going to play it with Burger as my co-pilot, I would play it on easy just to have like a a simple narrative experience. And yeah, the, sure. The Big Daddies. They were still super. Like out of all the enemies in that game, I I, I tell you what. Actually, I told a lot. I told a lot earlier. The only other thing I knew about about Bioshock were the Big Daddies, and they were simply mm. I didn't know what they were called, but I knew what they looked like because they're on the freaking front cover. You know, um, I looked into afterwards, I looked into like the development. They went through so many changes um, about what they like, what they were planning to put in as the big bad. Um, And in my opinion, they're actually they're actually the like icon of the game. Like, absolutely. There is even the end boss. There is nothing because the end boss is basically meant to be like it's meant to be a, um, you know, surprise. So. But yeah, the Big Daddies are like the pinnacle of that game in terms of villains. And well, they're not even villains, but we'll get into that later on with stories. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I really like them. Um, was, I also did the same thing as I did, you know, with everything else. I, I shocked it and then I pelted it to death with a wrench. I basically just danced around the thing um, mm-hmm. while, yeah, while I while I watched help. Well, while while I listened to the little sisters helplessly crying. Um, <laughs> Mr. I no! listen. They them <laughs> crying like it, it did something to me. I don't like children, but man, I didn't want to. I didn't want to upset them, but man, they had Adam. You know, I needed. I needed it. They were protecting the Adam. I needed it. Um, yeah, really cool design. Um, you know, they could have. I like. I would really love to have been in that writing room when they were like doing the design for them. Um, or the designer room when they're doing the design for them because they just they are they are recognizable but they're not they have something unique about them yeah sure you can see that helmet it's like a french diving suit from the 1900s etc but they're also not human you can def you can tell that like mm. you know and it's it, i think that's a really i love that kind of design there's still like an air of mystery to them isn't there even today 
Yeah. And it's, I think that's great. You know, I, I think I'd love a little bit. I mean, being a DM, I love vague, you know, <laughs> basically what I do. Um, yeah. And it, you know, it gets people talking and yeah, we, we actually spoke a little bit about the big daddies when I was streaming it. Uh, yeah. Super cool villain. Love them. Um, I'm surprised we didn't talk about the bees. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, we can talk about the bees if you want. I mean, it's just the different, uh, well, not specifically the bees, but the different plasmid abilities. The plasmids. That, there were yeah. so many in the game that you could take control of enemies, you could take control of turrets, you could take control of, uh, I think there were, th- you could make enemies fight each other, not take control, you could just mm-hmm. make them mad at each other. You could shock them with lightning, burn them with fire, throw ice bolts at them. Uh... And that's even like, I mean, like those are the offensive ones, but there's a sh- like a ton of other stuff like to make it easier to hack, you know, to make shop prices go down, to make alarms, right, to make alarms last le- time and that kind of So there's so much like, you know, so many options Tuning. there, which is really cool. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the, the powers are, 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 are really cool and fun to engage with. Like the bees are another iconic um, Bioshock. They play in that that that, uh, that trailer I mentioned earlier. Like they're they're in that trailer. It's like one of the yeah. first styles he uses. Yeah, such a it's, mad I thing. Always, uh, sorry, <laughs> I was just gonna say I just really I really appreciate a game that makes me actually care about money and stuff. And I constantly or, and or rather maybe not money, but like you use the Adam obviously to unlock uh, abilities and things like that. Uh, or give yourself new slots to put those abilities in and like it made me care about that because i was like oh i can give myself a few more slots and use more of these things that i've been collecting but yeah sorry go on Steve. i say it's, it's appreciation for the madness that is like yeah let's just make it so they can shoot bees and you know <laughs> this is a game with like you know your three core elements of fire ice electricity and then you've got like sonic boom hadoukens on the ground like mines uh, what was it? The gravity gun from Half Life, essentially te- telekinesis. Would you say, yeah. Berg? Yeah, it's, it's it's a nice menagerie, and then you've got all like you know, the, you, yeah, should we say, mental control powers? I mean, mind control, a big daddy, enrage, mm-hmm. security. It's surprising how much that opens up options, uh, which is a shame because I still gravitated towards electricity most of the time. Variety versus versatility. I tell you what, um, so I was complaining about earlier about like the game not really surprising me um, much because of, you know, it being 14 years later. But the telekinesis thing did surprise me. Like, because mm. whenever I, even nowadays, whenever you hear the word telekinesis, it's a very one dimensional thing. Like people just think, oh, I can just push things, push things over. I can push things away. Right. But in this game, you can catch whatever is thrown at you and throw it back at them. Like, mm. and that was really really cool i mean it's you know it's it has been done but i wasn't expecting that from a 2008 game yeah. um yeah it was really cool like when i remember when i got the telekinesis and i found the 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 tennis ball launcher and i was like oh you're a bad one you're gonna throw the rockets at me or something and i started inspecting it and going around it and it didn't do anything <laughs> i was like huh why is this here and I think it was it was t- it was labeled t- tennis ball launcher, right? And then I looked down the thing. This, this is the great like kind of level design they did for certain things. Because I le- then I looked down the range. And I was like, oh, this is actually a range for something. Mm-hmm. Then I went to the the other end and I saw that there was a a plasmid there for telekinesis. And then there's a big fat button right in front of you, basically saying, "Try me," and also an audio book. <laughs> 
to tell you uh, what telekinesis yeah. was from the, um, I can't remember his name now, but the Doctor um, Su Chong. Yeah, that's the guy. Um, yeah, telling like there's a lot of little plasmids like that. The, the important plasmids. There was a lot of like little story and immersive elements like that. Um, that helped you uh, kind of get, like use these plasmas and get what they can do. Um, I use telekinesis a lot. Like the amount of times I picked up uh, a fire canister or something and just threw mm-hmm. at somebody and it exploded. Super satisfying. All right, let's move a little bit along to some of the atmosphere and aesthetic of the game. Let's talk a little bit about the visuals of Bioshock. Um, like you, James, I played the remastered version if that's what it's called uh, on playstation i think it's the ps4 version um overall i'd say that this is probably the highlight of the game for me um i still think the game looks pretty good rapture is a really cool location it looks really cool uh, i particularly like it's funny because so for an underwater city it's quite easy to forget that you're underwater sometimes so it's nice that it breaks it up and kind of hits you over the head with it very briefly, where you go through these like tubes between buildings that are completely outside, mm. uh, which which feels great, and it also doesn't overdo that. Like you have these moments, and you're like, "This is awesome," and you just move on, and then like hours later, you might get another one. Uh, in general, I thought the variety was pretty good with the visuals, um, and for the time, very unique and still quite unique because that sort of like 1950s sort of steampunk thing. People say they love it. It never really sticks around. Fallout has done it pretty successfully, but nobody's made any like franchise using steampunk that's really connected and really stuck around. Um, and, you know, obviously this has it around its periphery. It's not too overbearing with it, but obviously it's a major, major part of it. You know, Art Deco, very nice. Um, Berger, what do you think of the visuals of Bioshock oh, and how they hold up in 2022? Absolutely stunning. Uh, I still remember the first time I played the demo and um for those who may not have played bioshock or listening to this podcast the de- the first one of the first scenes in bioshock is you um go into a, an elevator effectively and then you listen to a uh, a presentation by the game's antagonist andrew ryan uh and then he reveals rapture to you and it blew me away. It was just like, I got chills, like goosebumps. And it's such an mm. iconic, beautiful scene to see that I got those same goosebumps when I was watching James play the game again a few weeks ago. And, you know, it's like, no, it belongs to God. So I have, can a man not choose in, you know, Rapture, he does this thing. And then, boom, <laughs> chills. Like, as soon as that, that goes up. And then it does a good job, too, of, of showing how massive Rapture is. Yeah, um, for sure. And then, like you said, when you're inside Rapture, they do a great job of of showing you this. Uh, of this, you could forget that you're under underwater sometimes. But then there's very like there's a lot of really small reminders that you're underwater. Like there's a lot of um, a lot of wet spots on the carpet. There's a lot of leaks on the on the walls. Yeah, <clears throat> a lot of rust and like uh, I don't want to say decay. Maybe not be, might not be the right word, but um, it's the the environments of and the and the visual style of the game do such a great job of like it, it, beyond just the, the level design it's visual storytelling because um, there's yes very well said like there's so much of just walking around Rapture where you don't know what's happening you you're coming into this like not knowing what's going on you know that there was a party at some point like a New Year's Eve party 
But then you find out that that party wasn't actually this New Year's Eve, but like one a couple ago, um, back before they found Adam and before it, like societal collapse. And now I, I think it's like you said, it's the high point. It, it's what makes it. It's what makes Bioshock worthy of of this episode of the podcast. I think. Yes, uh, environmental storytelling is something that I hadn't even written down, but you're so right. This game is absolutely rife with it. Steve, how do you feel about the way Bioshock looks? Aesthetically, like excluding, and there's a big exclusion, the character models of anything bar a um, big daddy, aesthetically excluding those, I think it's a fantastic uh, little thing. Like the, the environments, the, as, as my colleague said, that they all look rather stylish and art deco, and there's not an exhaustive overuse of underwater vistas. Regarding environmental storytelling, most places have, uh, they they look like they would have been at one point opulent, but are now corroded, rusted, and falling apart, or covered in blood. And yeah, I would say that as is the nature of these kind of games, and the fact that you've got to explore every nook and cranny to get all the supplies you need, that there's a lot of environmental storytelling. Most rooms are unique in some way, shape, or form. And have a small story to tell, even if it is, and that person died, <laughs> which is the usual ending of someone in Rapture. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it's it's got. Uh, obviously, when I think of Art Deco, I mean my brain gravitates directly towards the opening shots of the Batman show, the original Batman animated series, <laughs> and seeing that. But now it's all rusted, green, and underwater. It works. It just works. Like uh, even the guns and stuff aren't like your traditional modern day for the era guns. They all look like. Art Deco revolvers and shotguns, and then you've got steampunk grenade launchers bolted on top and stuff like. Basically, if it's not looking like Art Deco architecture, it looks like diving gear has been converted into a weapon. If that makes any sense, especially the grenade launcher looks like something that's made out of like a diving helmet stretched out. And it, yeah, lots of what's the word? Um, not typography. That's text, but like that kind of mindset has been put through the entire game. Like, it's got its own language of vision. Visual language, Steve. Let's go with that. And the fact that it's consistent the entire way is pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty strong. And, and you take a screenshot from this game, particularly one, say, with a outdoor vista, people are nine times out of ten going to know it's Bioshock. It, it's that unique and striking. Yeah. Yeah. Character models, however, yeah. are dire. <laughs> Just to swing it back around, <laughs> excluding the big dad, excluding the big daddies, most character models are, even for the era, kind of janky. They hide it with masks and using environmental storytelling that way, so everyone is like, you know, normally wearing some kind of masquerade outfit to try and hide their just deformed visage, but it doesn't change the fact that they are rough to look at. Also, a lot of the lighting too is, is helpful for them hiding how bad the enemies are. I'll agree with Steve. Like the enemy design of the splicers is generally pretty poor. Yeah, just mismatched sour plasticine model faces not great <laughs> uh james what did you think of the visual design of bioshock uh it's it's beautiful like when i when i first started up and the first thing you want to look at because you're in the ocean and the first thing you want to look at is the giant lighthouse looking object in the middle of the ocean and they know that <laughs> Like the, the the developers know that and they want you to look at it. They want you to look at all the work they put into that. And mm. then you look around you and there is some of the best looking water I've seen in a video game. Um, and I mean, it, 
Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, again, you know, I, I feel I feel like it's a testament rather than a takeaway when um, developers or film, they use darkness and lighting to accentuate something. Um, and they did with the water. Like, I, I'm sure if there was a blazing sun in the sky, that water wouldn't look as good. But they did really well with it. The fire, eh, it, it was it was passable. Right, and very fire. Yeah, yeah, it's very hard to do, especially at that time. Um, in fact, I still don't think there's really a, a game that's done it super duper well, um, up, even up to this point. Yeah, and then you walk in, and it is yeah, the environment immediately has its own stamp on it. You immediately get kind of the world you're entering. Um, it's, I got a note down. It reminded me um, of dwarven architecture, in a way. I know that sounds strange to say, and I mean in a fantasy sen- sense. Um, and if we've watched, folks who watch Lord of the Rings here, you'll know what I mean by that. It's very angular. It's very, and when I say this, uh, it's thick. And <laughs> Is that with two C's? <laughs> exactly. And heavy. Everything feels like it's quality. Like, and you got mm-hmm. that, you know, and just, it's just mesh on a wall, right? But you got that when you walked into that lighthouse. I'm actually not sure if it is a lighthouse. I just assumed it was. Um, yeah, and it's, you know that that first entrance of what it was, a, it was one of the best kind of ent- entrances to a game that I've played. Um, mm-hmm. One of the biggest kind of surprises to the game was just the beginning of it uh, for right. me. Um, yeah, and as you go through, like I, I want to talk about because we kind of. We have uh, kind of slated the, the the splices a little bit, and you know, deserved. They did kind of look a little bit weird, but they did, you know, they, as Berg said, they used lighting. The other thing they used, um, and mass. The other thing they used is movement to hide. Um, they made you uncomfortable, so you didn't look at them. Hmm. Right, you didn't want to. I didn't want to look at the splices because they terrified me. I wanted them to be dead as soon as possible. <laughs> like so i would i mean and i was at, you know i was playing mainly with my wrench so like i was up close and personal with these things but i wanted them dead um the way they moved like i think the first cutscene, um and this game has barely any cutscenes, which is another yeah. you know plus or minus um but the first cutscene you see is you get knocked out and uh, you, uh, Big Daddy comes over with a little sister and the little sister calls you an angel. Or no, you haven't become an angel yet, um, she says. And when the splicer comes down to your face and it just moves around like a, like a, like a puppet, like it was, oh, they say shivers down my spine. Yeah, yeah, it was, oh, it was creepy. And they do that all the way through the game, um, even in gameplay. And I thought that was just a really good way to kind of hide the fact that they didn't have the greatest models because I just wanted them dead. Um, <laughs> and, and then, like, I think probably my favorite, uh, in terms of visuals, um, you know, we can all go around the table with this, but in terms of my favorite place, I think it had to be the, uh, I can't remember the name of it right now, but the the entertainment zone. Oh, Fort Frolic. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah. Um, I really like the plant place, but Fort Frolic, I don't know why I like because that normally that kind of environment sets my anxiety off. I don't want to be near a bunch of people and like entertainment places and stuff like that. But I don't know why I love that place so much. Like there's so much. Oh, I, I I think I do know why actually. It's because there's so much color in it, and I always talk about um, especially in like like the original RE games, for instance. There's so much color 
um, and yeah. I love poppy colors. And in Fort Frolic, there were so many colors in my face, and I was like, "Whoa!" And then you met with you met with this really weird guy who just you know the show must go on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yeah, great way to tell the story. And I, like, as soon as you enter, you see like these wax figures. Um, his art piece to your left. You're like, what the heck? Is that something I have to interact with? No, not right now. You have to interact with that later. There's like some foreshadowing um, as well done visually uh, within the game. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff like that in this game. A bunch of like little secrets I found just by looking at something and going, oh, what if I do something here? And then suddenly I've got a plasmid or I've got a safe mm. with stuff in it. Um it wants you to explore and i love yep. i do yep. love games like that they they you know visually it wants me to go out and go through that door and explore and see what's there and you will be rewarded um and i know i've mentioned elden ring once but it's kind of what elden ring does as well like it i'm not going to talk about elden ring but it's a you know more games should do that they should if you explore you don't get like a a stim one stim and that's it. Like you get a reward for it. You get a plasmid. You get an upgrade. You get a slot. Or you get something. Fuel. Like, like, you know, oh. There's plenty and of nightmare like, fuel secrets. <laughs> for real. And it's not like upgrades in Bioshock um, were small either. Like every upgrade you mm. get is huge. Yeah, okay. they they look they look great as well. Yeah. I mean, there's the, they, the, the, like Max Fleischer style cartoon stuff where they give you a little intro of like, this is incinerate, use it to incinerate people. <laughs> Why you've got a cartoon man setting a lady's uh, cigarette on, like, you know, as, as opposed to burning <laughs> them alive. It did, it did remind me of Fallout a lot, those little videos hmm. that they were doing. Um, I don't know, I don't know who, what came first. Did those videos come before Fallout's Fallout 90s like Fallout 1 and 2 still had that style in the 90s right so they must take an inspiration from that because it's very similar um, in terms of art style um, like you saw I saw the Pip-Boy in every single video <laughs> every single one that popped up um, but yeah I mean overall like visuals stunning for its time and still is stunning for sure yeah completely agree all the things you've just said about it being a game that rewards you for actually taking the time to look around and appreciate it, which is always nice. And uh, yeah, not really thinking about it before, but that intro being a big surprise for you, that that's always nice. It's one of those things where it's like, you always remember where you were and you experienced such and such a gaming moment. And I think if this game has a moment, there's a couple of them that are up for grabs in discussion, but I know that that opening scene is a big, big deal. You know, a lot of people loved that when it came out and it had a huge impact on sort of like, games as art or whatever you know that kind of conversation games as cinema um and why wouldn't it you know it's a great way to kick off a game with the introduction to rapture
Let's talk about the audio on the other end of the spectrum then. Uh, I'll also start with this one as well. Why not? I would say this is probably my least liked part of the game, perhaps. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't have much of a soundtrack. What it has is quite unremarkable, I think, outside of that intro scene particularly. I didn't find any of it particularly memorable or present. I don't even remember if there was music. It's been a few weeks now. Uh, you do get the old-timey 50s music you hear in the background very occasionally. You know, personal taste doesn't really do anything for me, so it's not going to uh, stick in my brain at all. It's not my kind of thing. The voice acting is, you know, stellar pretty much across the board. Very engaging. Uh, Atlas and, you know, the whole arc of his character is very well performed. Um, again, you get all these collectible diaries that you can listen to. That's really nice. Obviously, it adds to the story and they're all very well done as well. It's nice when you're actually able to hear them over the gameplay, which isn't all the time. Because accidentally you'll pick one up in the middle of a never-ending firefight and just be like, well, okay, never mind. Some of the sound effects got incredibly annoying welcome to the circus of values with kill your cravings and the circus of value <laughs> yeah, yeah that it's uh it's great character but it's uh it's really boring after a while that being said some sound effects i thought were particularly iconic like actually activating and doing stuff with the machines and the hacking those kind of sound effects are uh they, they i remembered them from when the game came out i haven't touched this game since the release sort of year uh and booting up and playing it hearing that sort of like the juddering of those machines and stuff was like yeah that's what i remember about Bioshock. those sound effects are very iconic to me particularly um steve what do you think of the audio in bioshock uh, much like yourself musically i think it's lacking it's got like the intro to rapture's great uh you know Waltz of the Flowers doesn't count. It's licensed Tchaikovsky music. Right. And uh, the rest of it's kind of mid. There's some old-timey stuff in there. I'm pretty sure there is actually some crossover with other music from Fallout. Maybe not Set the World on Fire, but possibly. Um, I kind of... There's sometimes when the Splices have, like, ambient dialogue uh, that I wanted to bring up. You know, in Resident Evil 4, we have obviously got the advantage of not really knowing the intricacies, intricacies of Spanish quite as much as some people. Or in right. uh, Resident Evil 6, the... Um, Joavo speak in various languages that we may not necessarily natively speak. I feel like the splices are our counterpart to that as English speakers, um, which is irritating because some the amount of times I heard Jesus loves me, yes I know, oh God, yeah, over and over yeah. and over again was starting to grate a little. Like the the voice recording itself was quality, but hearing the same ambient lines from certain splices over and over again started to grate towards the end game. Audio logs are fantastic. Like, there's that extra little bit of detail that is, like, leading through from its lineage. For example, like, Andrew Ryan always has the same background noise, and most people have background noise appropriate to where they are when they recorded it, which I think is a fantastic little touch. Vocal performances are solid as well, across the board. I think the only one that makes me wince a little is Tenenbaum, the uh, the German scientist who progressively gets more and more of a uh, cartoonish lilt to her accent as the game goes on. Yeah, sure. Same with the, the the true big bad, who I'm not going to spoil until we get there. I feel like they are so on-the-nose, cliche mob boss that's a bit <laughs> crap. Like, they, they could have kept the, the uh, other iterations and it would have been stronger for me. Standout performance still goes to Armin Shimmerman as Andrew Ryan. Like, I may not agree with that man's politics at all, but my God, if I don't pay attention when he's speaking. Like... Yeah, for sure. Extremely great performance there. 
yeah, I, I, all the sounds, bells and whistles are what you'd expect them to be in a shooter. I particularly like the punchiness of the shotgun and the sound of lightning leaving my hand. And uh, the thwack <laughs> of a wrench upon a person's head is surprisingly satisfying, as I said earlier. <laughs> what about the bees? <laughs> and the bees. Oh, God. Oh, not the bees. Not the bees. Ah! Sorry. Uh, yeah, the bees are authentically <laughs> irritating. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Logo, what do you think about the audio presentation of Bioshock? I mean, it feels like a lot of a lot of what there is to be said about the audio in Bioshock has already been said. Um, mm. I it's one. This is one of those moments where I hadn't played Bioshock or like it, it, analyzed it critically um, since I you know played it 15, 16, 14, 15 years ago um, when James was playing it again, and there's a lot of points in the game where there's just no sound happening or, or there is a sound and it's just like the droning of like I guess the sound of what that's what being underwater sounds like because um, it's like right, an sure. ambient hum uh, of varying volume that was the other thing that James and I noticed is on the remastered version the, the audio doesn't sync right like it's not it's not measured for distance, so if there's an enemy in the it's same... It's the distance, yeah. Yeah, if there's an enemy in the same zone as you, you'll hear it as if they're right next to you, even if they're down the other yes. hallway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which really took me out of it. But, like Steve says, the yeah, uh, Andrew Ryan is such a... We, we talked about the intro to this game a lot already, but that, that opening cinematic, that opening... When he showed, when he's talking about why he created Rapture, and it's this audio, like this, like automatic thing that's just playing because you're entering. Um, it's compelling. It makes you want to see what he's created. It makes you want to experience. So, and 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 then I'll say the same thing for a lot of the other performances, barring barring, like Steve said, some kind of like slippage of of like characterization as you get into the later game for some of the characters. Everybody, every time somebody talks, that's not physically in the space with me, or on an audio log, I should say. Sometimes there's an audio log. I want to hear the next one. I want to know what happens to those two, those two people who are looking for their kid. I want to know what happens to um, Dr. Su Chong. I want to know what happens to everybody. Like, I want to know what happened to the people. I want to know what happened on Rapture. And while while the generally speaking, the audio design is not great for that, at the very least, you do have those, those tidbits. We, we'll get more into that in the story. Yeah. Segment, but yeah. Yes, it's funny that you say about the distance thing. I hadn't thought about it. Uh, it relates back to the Jesus loves me thing that you mentioned, Steve. I had a a splicer that was, you know, singing along to himself for <laughs> literally minutes. That I couldn't find the guy. I had no idea where he was, and the fact that the audio was like a consistent volume no matter where you are really didn't help. He was going on and on and on for minutes. That is probably a remastered the- thing. That yeah, and um, posh lady of "Don't you disrespect me!" Those two are the most mm. common irritants vocally. And uh, Berger, what you're saying about sort of like a lack of sound, you're absolutely right. So <laughs> this is so inside baseball. My uh, my sound bath, my TV is a secondhand piece of crap thing that needs replacing. Most certainly, um, it has an issue where if it's not detecting much, it kind of just stops. Uh, it goes. I guess there's nothing going on. I'll just go to sleep. Uh, and that can be irritating through, you know, many movies that have their quiet turns and stuff like that. 
but none more have I had an issue with something other than Bioshock. Like that's the one most where I've had to like turn it off and back on again because it's just shut off. I can tell that it's shut off because there was a hum there before, but it's so low that the soundbar is just like, I'm not interested. So you're right, this game could be very quiet. You know, not necessarily a bad thing, just an observation. James, what do you think of the audio in Bioshock? I know we've covered a lot of it, but any highlights and lowlights? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really like the sound that when the wrench hits people. <laughs> That's mine. <laughs> it's it sounded real good. Um, All right, cool. <laughs> no, um, I I also yeah, as as Berg said, like one of my biggest complaints was hearing something and then turning around and then oh, there's nothing there. And what makes it even worse is that you have Houdini enemies in the game who mm. fly around and teleport from yeah. one place to the next, right? And not only are you hearing them giggle and saying what they're saying, but you're also hearing the whoosh of their teleporting ability, right? And those two, th- they're two different audio tracks, and sometimes they don't sync up. So you're just like, <laughs> well, I don't know where you are now. Like, you, you could be you could be up my butt. I don't know. Like... <laughs> I, I, I eventually, I think I, I took enough photographs of them where uh, you slow down their teleport, you, you get a better idea where they're teleporting to, so it's a bit easier to kill them. But yeah, it was, at some points, the audio was the reason. You, you don't realize, actually, as I was playing it, I started to realize how much I rely on audio in video games, um, especially like that in first-person stuff. I mean, coming from playing a game like Resident Evil 8 Village, which has spectacular audio, um in terms of directional right and where everything is to play bioshock which yeah i i saw it night and day i was like well i i'm just gonna hit things and use it i you said you were talking about guns earlier on guys there was no other gun in the game than the shotgun um (laughs) there was no reason to use anything else i mean Uh, the tommy gun was there but only when the shotgun was empty would it be used right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no i just used the wrench come on <laughs> um just go back to old, old faithful um yeah and like yeah great point by burger as well with the like no sound yeah there was just a there was just a vast lack of sound looking um, online i'm um, doing a quick leg of the the servers and things um on steam and it generally seems to be a consensus that the the updated bioshock the collection versions are actually inferior for sound quality like the stereo stuff was apparently oh. more present in the original so this may be an advisor if you're a listener to the podcast and you're still interested in bioshock get the old versions not the new get versions. the old one yeah because people were saying to me also that apparently the they remembered the old version either having smaller um sorry to go back on a previous point but they had smaller crosshairs or you could just remove them entirely in the old version. So it'd be cool to get like some people's feedback on that to see if you have the old version, see if there is an option for that. Um, yeah, because I might actually buy the game if like the older version. Uh, but yeah, uh, voice acting, spectacular. Um, I said to Berger right at the beginning, and we we're going to get into it in a second, but due to the way that Atlas was talking to me and was making me do things... I, I just his his voice actor i didn't trust him <laughs> like i said didn't i say that to you bergs i was like I, I don't trust this guy i don't believe anything he says but but at the same time he was saying stuff sometimes it was making me go huh? you know but <laughs> yeah i the voice acting i i Andrew Ryan, obviously, a uh, big, you know, uh, lead, leader in the, of the pack when it comes to uh, voice acting. But I think uh, the the uh, the Atlas dude was um, 
or the Atlas uh, persona was uh, fantastic as well um, because I was constantly trying to figure it out, figure him out just through his voice mm-hmm. alone. Cool. Okay, that nicely nicely brings us to story then, I guess. Uh, Obviously, we touched on little bits and pieces. Bioshock set in the fictional underwater utopia of Rapture uh, in 1960. The player character winds up going down into there after a plane crash and sort of getting swept up in this sort of post-crisis version of the city, which has discovered uh, some leaps forward in science that kind of wind up destroying their society essentially as people fight over uh, all these new abilities that they can now implant in their body and that kind of thing um i'm going to throw to you james first to talk about the story as you've never experienced it at all at this point uh i guess the cuffs are off what did you think of bioshock's plot <laughs> um i did not i did not know what to expect i was like there was a lot of points in this story where i was like where's this going why is this man so stupid? Why does he keep doing these silly things? I didn't get it. Like he goes into like but you're you're the whole game is about foreshadowing. The whole game. Every corner, foreshadowing everywhere. Like I remember one of my first comments, um, because I always call out on basically if something if if a character does something that's particularly silly and like if I was in that situation, why would I do that? And it was uh it was when he just injects himself a pla- with a plasmid. Right. right. I was like, why the heck would you, you know, I get going down, you know, exploring, you know, going down the bathosphere, going into, you know, I get that. But why would you grab a plasmid and stick it into yourself or whatever that was? You know, what, he had no idea at that point. You know, he's being told by Atlas that it's, um, you know, would you kindly p- uh, put that inside yourself, right, and uh, inject yourself. And I was like, why the heck would you do that? It was a bit... I didn't understand it. I don't think like, he, as you go in, I don't think he. I don't, as crazy as it sounds, I don't think he prompts you on that one. Oh, you're just, okay. You're just crazy. Well, he, <laughs> okay. He, well, he right. pops in, I mean, he pops in after you inject yourself. I mean, at the same time, like it's kind of. I mean, again, being vague, the story can be as vague as it likes because when he was told, "Would you kindly?" in the plane, wasn't he? Right, mm. and this could be like a, a part of the objective like is to do that right so that's how i looked at it is that everything he was doing i think that's was intended everything he's doing you know is because he was told to i can't remember the exactly what was the main character's name again jack jack Jack. yeah Yeah. um you know jack was told you know was told on the plane to do something and then was continually kind of buffed up i guess with the would you kindly um and if folks don't know what i'm talking about um, you know, I don't want to go too into it because I want to give my other colleagues a, a chance, but um, basically, our Jackie boy was mind-controlled throughout the entire game. So that old cliche of, um, you know, why are you doing, why are you climbing up that ladder? Why are you going further into, like, a, a danger zone? Why are you doing all these things? Like, you know, a typical teen movie, you'd see in a typical teen movie, you know, um, why would you go into that dark corridor? Well, this game has an answer for that, and I wasn't expecting that at all. I didn't know what to expect when that was announced. Um, yeah. I, in terms of the story and the standouts for it, um, I did feel like, to go on a little bit of a downer, I did feel once you um, found out about Andrew Ryan and him having a little power trip in front of you, but then you eventually 
kind of clobbering him. Which, by the way, can I just say, what a perfect way for me to end somebody is by hitting them with a wrench or a golf club, because <laughs> that was my that was my playstyle. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I that really uh, really affected me that bit because mm. okay. Andrew Ryan, the way that guy acted that scene out, oh. It was because what I was getting was he basically was he would rather than admit that he didn't have control because he was complete control freak like they all were rather than admitting that he wasn't in control. He would rather die than admit that, Mm. which is why he like continually took the hits. I think that's what the game was trying to put forward. And this might be old like old theory stuff like in the community i don't know i literally don't look at any of this stuff as i said prior right i just thought that was really cool because at the at first i was like why are you doing this and then when i the game makes you think and it's like why would he do this though he's been in control this entire time and i felt after that in terms of the story the story fell a little bit Mm. um i didn't like fontaine very much I didn't like that he turned into like a kind of Mr. Manhattan-esque like uh, villain at the end. Uh, I loved the lead up to basically getting, um, becoming a big daddy. I love that little, that little egg hunt. Um, but actually fighting him, fighting him, there was an escort mission with a little sister that I didn't, didn't like very much either. I don't like it when at the end of a game, the game slows you down. Uh, and the game mm-hmm. slowed right down towards the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, prior to all of that happening, we are being controlled by Atlas throughout the the first half of the game. Um, maybe like first one fifth of the game. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. First Four three fifths of the game. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, all the way through, I was like, I don't believe you. You're making me do all these things. We never see your wife or your kid. You know, I don't trust you. Um, but for some reason, this character, this is James thinking, for some reason, this character is constantly going to go through this. And I always have a faith in the process. And I think that is kind of testament to, like, you know, if you watch our <laughs> Resident Evil podcast, you listen to our Resident Evil podcast or watch them, you see that as a part of my personality. I always give something a chance. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a chance. And I'm so happy I did. Because it Good. really did surprise me. Um, and someone almost spoiled me in the chat, didn't they, Burger, when I was playing it? And and I I didn't actually see what was put, um, but I was I was so tempted to look at that chat, but I'm so happy I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you made it all the way through the game, you know. And, yeah. And it's quite impressive. Like, to go fourteen years without spoilers and then someone in chat put a spoiler in, I was like, <laughs> no, must resist. Um, right. and as soon as I seen that yeah, when like Alice is going through all his bull crap, and then you get to that room where it just says "Would you kindly," it's just sent shivers down my spine. Well, that's awesome. Then it like flashes back to all of the moments when when yeah. it happens. Like mm. this is, I remember. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, yeah, no go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, uh, I, I was done anyway. I remember this thinking. I wish this was a game I could unplay. Yeah, I bet. Um, because of that reveal. And um, that's actually what I, I mentioned at the top of the at the top of the chat um, that I had a, I had a fun thing to, to talk about. 
for while James was trying to play this one, while we were doing IP, I, we would talk about bio, his, his Bioshock journey and why he wasn't enjoying it or why he was having a bad time with it. And throughout that conversation, I would prompt him with, would you kindly tell me what you thought of that? I did this for weeks. <laughs> you weeks, did that? I didn't even notice. Weeks and weeks where I kept prompting <laughs> oh, him I, with, I hate it. Would you kindly, like, to talk about Bioshock specifically? And then there was a moment uh, during an episode <laughs> of IP where one of the one of the viewers in chat was like, "Oh, Burger said the thing," and I was like, "No, you have to shut that down. Stop it. No, you you do not ruin this for me because when that podcast comes out and I get to say that I did this to James, it's gonna make me so happy." <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The itchy painty subplot of Bioshock. <laughs> it's it's like it's it's not it's not as you know it's it's like my uwus every Sunday burger. I've been I've been sneaking one every week. I don't know if you've noticed. Oh, I haven't. Damn. <laughs> it's uwu watch now. It's a great moment. It's a great moment. You're right. Like I will talk about my feelings on on the story at large, but that moment is so well directed. And James, I agree with you with the whole. Uh, power control angle because this is a guy who built an entire underwater city to get away from society because he thought he could do better so i completely agree with you on that uh burger sorry do continue Any oh, thoughts on oh the story absolutely i have i have many um you go right ahead so but i mentioned earlier bioshock has like a visual storytelling aspect of like exploring the environment educates jack as to what's going on as it educates the player which to me is one of my favorite things when games do. Another good example of it from a recent game is Control. Control, you walk into it as a character who has just no idea what's going on. And as she learns what's going on, it educates you as the player, but it doesn't really hamper the experience. Um, Bio- System Shock 2 did that to an extent. Uh, I think Bioshock was a, was a better version of it. Just in terms of like hearing stories unfold. As you're exploring this mm. decrepit, decaying, falling apart underwater city, you find an audio log from like the chief engineer who's like, yeah, we got to really worry about keeping these things sealed up. Because I don't know if you know what happens when there's, you know, 60,000 feet of ocean above us on a city that's underwater and we have leaks. Like, yeah, that's real. Like, that's an encapsulation of that, of that character's life in that moment. His exacerbation that he's not getting the parts he needs to make sure that the city's not leaking. Or... Um, the subplot about the two parents who find their daughter has been turned into a little sister and like them searching for it and fighting. And then, and then, then you find them, you find their corpses and they, they, they died together because they couldn't live, um, without their little one. Um, seeing people's delving, like falling into madness. There's the one, um, woman who, uh, you, she's present in the early part of the game. She ends up, getting her face ruined by the plastic surgeon. Uh, she was yeah. dating Andrew Ryan. Um, Diane McClintock, I believe. McClintock, yes. Diane McClintock. Uh, and, like, how she starts off with, oh, I'm going to be so pretty, but then, like, you know, her face gets ruined, she goes crazy, stuff like that. Uh, and then, and then of course, there's there's also the the other characters who, who don't know what's going on. Andrew Ryan, when he first when he first notices your presence, he thinks you're from the CIA. So for the first half of the game, he's like, oh, you're CIA spook, aren't you? And then he starts to realize. He's like, oh, you're not from the CIA. Then who are you? What's going on? Um, mm-hmm. And then there's like, there's, James mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a game about foreshadowing. And you, there's, I noticed that recently when James was doing his playthrough, there's a, an audio log you pick up where a guy talks about how the, um, the bathospheres are all key to Andrew Ryan's DNA. 
So only people who are in Andrew Ryan's circle or their relatives can use the bathysphere. And you're able to use them just fine. So that was a nice like bit of foreshadowing to kind of like lead you in as the player. Uh, I will agree with James. I think the story. I think the story kind of. They. I think they. To. I think they kind of blew their wad a little early in terms of. Um, yeah. There's a lot that happens after, you know, a man chooses a slave obeys. Right. Yeah. That kind of takes away. I don't think it takes away from the impactfulness of that moment. But it's like watching the end of The Return of the King, right? You have your big moment, and then there's stuff that happens, and then there's stuff that happens, and then there's stuff that happens. And then by the time the end of the game, that big moment, that wonderful scene that you had, that, that visceral, like, oh my god, I've been played this whole time, is so distant. Yes, and, definitely. And different, depending on which of the endings you get. Mm. Of which I think there are three. Yeah, so you're saying there's three endings, right? All right, so I got the one um, which uh, made me cry. Actually, it was um, it was you go back down and you save all the um, you save all the the little sisters, and then you come back up and then you watch them grow old and go grow older, and then you grow older basically and you're only seeing hands you don't see any faces or anything Mm -hmm. and then they uh they they basically hold your hand while you while you pass on which i thought was so nice Mm -hmm. (laughs) so so like so touching there's actually only two endings but that is the good ending and that only happens if you rescue all of the little sisters so whether or not you meant to that's what you did so there you go i saved Uh, them all Apparently, because if you harvest one, then you get the other ending. I think that's pretty pretty sure that's how it works. Oh, I did. I definitely harvest one by accident. I think you get huh. a do-over, if I'm honest. I think because there's meant to be like, seriously, 20 little sisters, and there's actually 21. I think the game oh. counts. Oh, right. Okay. So maybe it gives you like a little buffer then. Yeah, that's not an exact number, but something like that is a thing. I know people right. can't harvest yeah. one and get away with it. Okay. You evil buggers. So, uh. so what... <laughs> What's the bad ending then? Oh God! Uh, you get like condemned for your actions and all this stuff, uh, and this, yeah, it's not good. Uh, you come back. <laughs> to nuclear the s- missiles involved. Yeah, you, you come back to the surface with an army of splices and try and take on the world, and then rightfully get put back down for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh sh! Okay. So yeah, so it's the thing. Um, okay, I'll, I'm gonna hold hold my tongue on this one, Steve. I'm gonna throw it to you. What, uh, what ending did you get on this playthrough, and what do you think of the plot in general? By a shot? Oh, I got the obnoxiously saccharine happy ending. I think it's. I know James is happy with it, but I two minutes of twee happiness was a bit too too sickly for my taste after such a grim dark game. <laughs> I this is a game that I can keep replaying because there's always some other thread or some other little bit of knowledge to break out. It's got like a deeply built lore about a city that was built by basically a even more maniacal Walt Disney uh, gets gets a sea slug that unravels everything, uh, leads to civil war, and you, the player, initially think you're just Bioshock guy. You're here to shoot things. And it turns out, no, you're actually central to the plot. You're the tycoon's two-year-old son who's been rapid-grown, brainwashed, and then turned to a gargantuan thing to kill him. It's uh, crazy. Absolutely crazy. And the fact that most of the time, especially in the build-up before Andrew Ryan's confrontation and the game peaks and then rapidly slides downward, 
you know, you're hearing about Andrew Ryan all the time. You're hearing about Frank Fontaine, who's apparently dead. You sound one audio log from him and everyone else talking about how scary and how dead he is. Uh, and then he appears like Kaiser Soze in The Usual Suspects as the real villain. And then, unfortunately, you've killed the most compelling villain to then have to go up against evil wise guy Capone, who's developed an addiction to drugs. <laughs> now you die, code yellow. The end. It's uh, it's kind of rubbish, like that bit. As soon as Andrew Ryan dies, all the mystery and mythos of the game slowly peels away to just basically a boring shooter of you, super-powered lightning hand man with a wrench versus a mob boss, spelled B-A-W-S. <laughs> I would have rather have it uh, uh, realistically as much as I love all the stuff about Rapture the Civil War the madness of Steinman and Sander Cohen uh, you know and the general deconstruction of uh, I think it's Iron Rand's philosophy isn't it the whole thing Andrew Ryan's about the fact that he completely sells out like he's all about freedom but then brainwashes the entire populace to be his slaves and stuff like that mm. you know we throw that all out the window to take on a mob boss uh, so I'd well, rather. It was very, uh, it was very cookie cutter. Yeah, like we had, we had a really awesome villain. He dies and is replaced by a rubbish one. I would rather it have been the big reveal at the end is that little ding when Fontaine Futuristics takes over. Just game over. Just the, 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 you're looking out into the sea, so just have the glass explode and you die. That would have been a better ending than this saccharine <laughs> save the world stuff. You know, you've been played the entire time by Atlas, I think would have been... Uh, admittedly, this is before Spec Ops The Line and stuff did it, where it turns out you were a pawn or you were a villain all along. But uh, it, it overstays its welcome. I'm not saying that the Umbrella-esque production line of the Big bad, the, the big Daddies is not a fun thing to bounce around in, in Point Prometheus. It is. Becoming a Big Daddy and fishballing my vision is garbage. And protecting the supposedly indestructible, but now for gameplay reasons not indestructible little sisters, is garbage. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the final boss is just like, what if we took away the compelling big daddies and made a lightning fire ice man who's just talking like a 1940s comic strip at you as how he's going to take over the world and show them yeah. who's really in charge? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of <laughs> shit. <laughs> like, he looked... It's like you've got Michelangelo's David and you're sweeping up and it looking fantastic and at the top it's got like a clown wig on, you know, at the end, just to, to ruin it. <laughs> so, yeah, my, my thoughts on Bioshock's story is it's fantastic up until a certain point. <laughs> it's got really he, he law up until a certain point. He looked he, he look like uh, the figurine that was on the front of a Rolls Royce. But no, I mean, <laughs> like, um, Fort Frolic, yeah? Not to go really into the weeds for yeah. a second. Fort Frolic, there's this strip club you can go into. There's, like, it's on signpost. There's no real law there, or so you think. And there's like a dead woman on a bed. Turns out, if you really look into the weeds, that's oh, your yeah. player character's mother who's dead there. You know, you're, yeah. the, the fact that, you know, if you really look into it, you're a three-year-old at best who's been fully grown and then turned into a monster to fight your own dad. Your own dad's given up and turned off the Vita Chambers to keep him alive in his own room to teach you a lesson to try and be free, I think, maybe. Uh, yeah. And then and then Frank Fontaine shows up. Mm. I'm really glad that I'm not the only one with major, major <laughs> issues with this story. And we've all kind of said the same thing about the sort of like latter missions. Uh, I agree, they can beat it. The final boss is despairingly easy. Yeah, the last sort of act of this game is very, very poor, which is very unfortunate because that moment is obviously so iconic and so legendary and so beloved. But after that, the game really does kind of like lose itself completely. 
Uh, yeah, I've got lots of issues. Uh, some of which, Steve, glad that you've already covered. You saved me the trouble for getting there. Uh, Getting, getting some hate mail, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guarantee I get some more. Um, everyone loves Bioshock because of the big you're, you've not had control all along twist. Uh, I don't want to spoil another game, but Shadow of the Colossus came out the previous year and pretty much did the same thing. I know Bioshock developers don't know that, but I'm just saying, oh, it's the first game ever to do this. The gravity, the importance of the twist... Not really. In Shadow of the Colossus, you spend the whole game doing it and then you find out that you've been serving someone else's goal. And I'm sure it's not the first game to do it either. So I don't really understand. I don't remember having that feeling like when I found that out the first time. We're like, really? That's... Oh, that's a shock. It was like, I was just kind of like, oh, okay. I don't really have a lot of feelings about the story in general. I like the world building stuff that you guys have mentioned. Steve, as you said, you know, your mother on the bed is really weird and twisted and interesting. And Berger, you talked about the little, getting the daughter turned into a little sister. That whole wing's very well done and emotional. But I don't care about Jack. <laughs> That's the problem. I guess, like, my, the reveal to me is like, I guess it sucks to be the player avatar. Anyway, time to keep playing the game and continuing to do the same thing until it gets you know, gets rubbish and you get turned into a big daddy. Like, yeah, okay, you have lower HP for a bit afterwards. That's like a little gameplay change. But the actual game itself, it just kind of goes on after that. As you guys have said, it did, and I, it, it very much sullies the moment, certainly. I like having the plasmids scrambled round. That was cool and refreshing for a moment. But then, uh, yeah, kind of loses it after that. I want to I want to comment on that a little bit and talk about... Um like an important aspect of just gaming as a hobby. The thing I, I think I, the, the fault with the ending, with that reveal that they give you, um, is they, it takes away all of your agency as a, as a yeah, character, sure. as a player. It's like, you, you kind of think you understand what's going on. You, you might not really understand. And you find out like you've been played the whole time. Like, I, I understand how that would make some, it could make somebody feel put off or like, like you said, it sucks to be Jack. I still don't care about him, but mm. you know, it does rob you of your, like, why did I do all this? Oh, cause somebody else wanted me to the whole time. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree. I will, I will agree with that. I can see why people think it's such a big deal because of course, like you're doing a bunch of objectives. You think you're just playing a video game and just that's what you do you do the objectives and that's a big surprise and sure that's fine but yeah it's bioshock for me like it's one of those it's difficult to feel anything about that because obviously the player avatar is literally meant to be a player avatar for that reason but like if that twist had come and some character i cared about in the story had been turned like that then sure but i don't really care about jack i care about some of the people in the files a hell of a lot more <laughs> so yeah i agree that rapture is super interesting but the actual plot line i wasn't really that bothered about i'm glad it I switched itself up as it went because my first experience with the game way back in the day i got really put off because the game introduces and it goes here are the splicers they're all crazy people and i'm like okay and it goes, right, here's your boss. He's crazier than all the crazy people. And I'm like, okay. And then it goes, right, you killed the boss. Here's another one. Guess what? They're even crazier. <laughs> and it does that like three times. And I was like, is this the whole game? If I'd have carried on playing, it literally changes after that point pretty much. But there's a string of that at the beginning where I'm like, right, okay, we get it. We've got the crazy yeah. doctor. We've got the cra And, you know, it's like, yeah. And the scary yeah, part yeah. is that the, the psychopath, who's obviously, honestly a psychopath, Sander Cohen, is the only one who will optionally leave the player alone. 
<laughs> there, there is a um. So there was another criticism I had of the story, and it was, <sighs> I like to be. I do like to be narratively driven in a game, like, mm-hmm. and they, for some reason, and they said it's because they wanted to. They believed it was a more cinematic experience and a more immersive experience was have there being no cutscenes in the game at all. And that was one thing. And I was like, okay, you got rid of the cutscenes. But at the same time, for a game that is terrifying at the beginning, like this game has got pretty good horror elements to it. Um, you know, even towards the end, actually, where I think there's one point where you get plasmid and you turn around and there's a there's just a dude standing right in front of you. Terrified <laughs> me. Um, but like the biggest thing is you never out of cutscene meet anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, like face to face, you know. Like, uh, I, I talk about it in early isolation as well. That uh, our podcast, go check that out. Um, but the thing about horror games or games that kind of have a dark nature like this, you need brevity. And Bioshock had sure. brevity; it did, right? But and you did speak to people, but it was always through a tannoy or it was through glass, or like they were a distance away. I wanted to feel that human connection um, from Jack to, like, a a character. And I at least, kind of similar to Ricardo in Alien Isolation, I at least wanted to have, like, some kind of relationship with these these characters, um, you know, that weren't Atlas or Andrew Ryan. You know, because I needed somebody to kind of help me immerse myself. And that was something I struggled with. Um, at points, and I think if it wasn't for Burger, like I actually wouldn't have completed this game. And this was one of the, and I was actually prepared to say to you, I'll come on, but I didn't complete this because I just wasn't enjoying it. Because there were certain points that weren't immersive to me, and I think that was one of them. Is that I just wanted to meet people. You, all these notes are telling me that this place is full of people. Like this place was full of like folks, and there are good people. Were good people in this place, you know, and we meet them barely and then they die, Mm. you know? And it's like, I would have liked to have met them a little bit longer, kept me immersed. Cause it it also would have helped you side. Cause you also would have, I I think you would have felt more connected to Jack. Yeah. Like as well, cause you would have been more human. Like he would have felt more humanized then. Yeah. Say what you want about Ethan Winters, but at least he has occasionally has a thing to say in Resident Evil 7. And I get, You know, the point is that he's so blank slated that that's why the twist works, because you just put yourself in the shoes. Yeah. But yeah, I guess that's why I think you're right. It doesn't work for me personally in that sense. And now that Steve has said, essentially, you're an aged up three-year-old, I can't imagine Jack as anything but like a fully grown <laughs> so, man with a baby's head. That's... <laughs> that doesn't help. <laughs> so, to, that, to that point, let's go ahead and start poking more holes in the storyline. The reason Jack never talks is because he probably can't speak because he's yeah, three years right, old. Exactly. I mean, there is that opening He's around with a dummy in his mouth. Can he, he have it? Can he line. even... Oh, the, in, the, in the opening the of the game. Mum and Dad said I was special. Well, that was an internal monologue. They didn't know how to speak yet. There we go, Bergs. Yeah. I'm with you. Exactly. <laughs> too busy too busy sucking on his binky to speak. Yeah. <laughs> Can he even comprehend the things people are telling him to do? <laughs> yeah, that's why he's <laughs> like, bashing things with the wrench. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> We're diving into the moral implications oh, wow. of Bioshock right now. <laughs> Well, that is that is even that's even more horror inducing. Among the Slaves was the first game we played as a baby. Not so. 
Yoshi's Island, <laughs> right. sir. Let's move on to some conclusions then. Um, Berger, let's start with you. You're a big Bioshock fan. Uh, you know, where does it sit for you in the pantheon of your favorite games? Is it up there? Um, I would say that there was a time where I would have put Bioshock in probably my top five favorite games. Um, right. It's 2007 was a long time ago, though. There's a lot of games that have come out since then. So I'm going to I'm gonna say I'm hard-pressed to put Bioshock in my top ten. If, mm-hmm. if only because I would put Prey on that list before Bioshock at this point. Um, right. Just because I really I enjoyed Prey so much, and what it brought to the formula was enough for me to to like okay, so this is Bioshock better. Um, <clears throat> I think it is absolutely a foundational experience in in what an explorative first person shooter could be, um, in the vein of a game like in an era where there was no Half Life game to come out to kind of fill that void, and, and this kind of took that torch and and like ran with it um yeah it was good uh it aged well visually uh, but i think that ultimately speaking i'm glad that it's over uh and i'm glad that there doesn't seem to be any rumblings of a revival of the series because i think it's one of those things that's best left as a uh as a relic or an icon of its age um interesting yeah yeah I could see it either way. Obviously, I could see why there would be a fan demand for a remake. I'm sure that demand probably exists in certain parts of the internet. And obviously, there are things you can improve in the remake and and that kind of thing. But obviously, yeah, but at the same time, you're right. Perhaps we should look back on it as a moment in time. And yeah, I feel like you might kind of take the shine off if you try and update it too much. As much as I've got issues with it aging, I, I feel like that would probably take away some of its uh, what makes it so great, what made it such an important part of gaming history. Uh, Steve, what are your final thoughts on Bioshock? Oh, it's a lot to compartmentalise. Um, I've, I've always appreciated what the Shock games try and do, Like, and this is someone who hasn't really put that much time into them, like the concept of them and the, the, the way that they mechanically play out. Bioshock in particular, and by shock game I mean including the system ones, not just Bioshock 1, 2, and Infinite. Um, I think it's a good tentpole title for you to stick your teeth into, to a point. There are a lot of fetch questing and grinding that we haven't actually talked about, you know, when it comes to using your photos and stuff to get your stats up. But overall, I'd say the positives generally outweigh the negatives if you're willing to caveat that the last fifth of the game is total arse and you should probably stop playing after Andrew Ryan dies. I could say that a game is mostly good enough to justify that, you know, that, that you can actually sever a portion of the game off and still have a great time. That probably says a lot. Uh, it's a cultural touchstone as well, visually and meme-wise. You know, would you kindly and a man chooses, a slave obeys, will forever be Bioshock and ingrained into my head. Um, if you haven't played it before, seek it out. But be wary, there is some, there is some, you know, Flecks of goo on that bronze statue you got. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad that I did finally play it after my issues with it when it first came out. Uh, to see it a bit clearer and see, you know, what the full package actually is. Um, it's going to sound really harsh. But now I'm able to justify my disinterest in it a little bit more. Because I can, you know, I can say I've actually played it all the way through. And I've played the really important bits especially rather than ducking out before they come. I'm really glad that people love this game. I know plenty of people that love this game. 
I just don't think it's for me. Uh, it is a p- important part in gaming histories, so everyone says. Uh, I don't think it's quite deserves the absolute like worship that it gets, but you know you can certainly see that it's had an impact on narrative-driven first-person titles. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I don't know. Maybe context helps. And that's okay, uh, I think. Yeah. No, everyone has absolutely. to love every game universally on the podcast. We can all disagree. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 it's difficult because in 2022, it has been done better by this point, which we've established early on. Uh, but if you are... If you fancy yourself a gaming historian, then you should absolutely, of course, play this game at some point. Uh, and if you're a Bioshock super fan, come at me with your pitchforks, I guess. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> at, you. They're at Siniac123 on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. No underscore in there or anything. It's fine. Um, <laughs> um, James, this was your pilot show pick. Are you glad you finally played it? What are your final thoughts on Bioshock? I am glad I played it. Um, I still think that I wouldn't have played it. It's going to sound really harsh. I still think I wouldn't have played it if it wasn't for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad I did. Same, because, probably, by the way. just to say. <laughs> Yeah. But I am glad I did because now I understand, you know, kind of the game and I can actually get the memes and I can get references and stuff to the, you know, ones I can barely remember because I am just cotton wool in a suit. Um but yeah, I, I I did like the game. Um, it did some things that were uh, kind of breakthrough for its time in terms of how the game, the visuals of the game, the story. I had never seen a story like that before, um, personally. Um, but you know, I've got a lot of games in my pile of shame, so we can get through that at some at some point. But yeah, it's. Yeah, it was a, it was a good game. Like if I was going to give it a score, like moists out of ten, as we normally not always do, I would give it you know a high six out of ten, like a a six point nine nice out of ten. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was good. I I enjoyed it. Uh, there are definitely some things that could have been improved upon, and I think it should be applauded for its time uh, for a game uh, for what it did. Uh, but yeah, I I just feel like I I still wouldn't play because like you it's not my kind of game Mm. i know that sounds weird and i'm always like yeah you should give things a try at least once and i did give this game a try and so did i right but uh yeah um just overall kind of the style of the game and the first person aspect of it um yeah it didn't really mesh with me the story did um and like the visuals of the game did um but it was i think the gameplay was kind of my main caveat of it and some immersive points of the game and the audio was kind of mm. yeah wild well nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors and our patreons once again and support the show for as little as one dollar a month to help us create more bonus content like this one over patreon.com forward slash fa spray pod you can also join the discord server to get in touch with members of the team and our you can also join the Discord server to get in touch with members of the team and our community, discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans, and listen to the podcast live as it's being recorded. You can find a link to the server, as well as our Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, and more. 
at fasprepod.com. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review where you can. It helps spread the word. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all of the Puebla people individually. I'm at Signiac underscore one, two, three. Steve is at FB Steve was taken. James is at Moist Outlet OFF and Burger is at its burger time. And finally, thank you for listening. And would you kindly have a good week? Yes. Oh, nice, nice, <laughs> nice. Podcaster yeah. entitled to the sweat of their brow. <laughs> no, no, says the man. It's mine. <laughs> no, says the, says the person in the admin chat. <laughs> it belongs it's... to the CEO. <laughs> no, says the fifth beetle. It belongs to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, says the Patreon backers. Yeah, Patreon backers, what do you say?